Welcome to episode 38 of the Gone Rogue podcast. It's Kate and it's solo night. Solo night happens Tuesday nights and Thursday nights in the Greg and Kate household. And it was something that we decided on right before moving in with each other. Before living together, we used to obviously organize date nights and then we'd spend like kind of at least half if not two-thirds of the week alone doing our own thing living our own lives and we both really enjoyed that and so when we moved in together we were like how do we preserve that alone time and so we came up with solo nights we have solo night on Tuesday night and Thursday night and we can just do whatever we want to do and it doesn't mean that we're not in the same house together it's just like usually we're in different rooms we cook our own meals like we just kind of do our own activities Uh, Sometimes that means that it's also the nights that we organize dates for that tends to work out quite well, but not the rule. If dates happen on other nights, that's totally fine as well. Then we decided that we needed to make sure that we still had date nights. So Wednesday night tends to be our date night in the middle of the week. And and we tend to have like dates happen during the weekend as well, but we just kind of deliberately during the week, make sure that we spend time connecting together and having like what we call active time where we're not on our phones together watching Netflix or we're not like scrolling and half listening to a podcast or just cooking dinner in the kitchen. It's like, no, an active date night is us together connecting and talking deeply and and going beyond just surface level conversation and it's important that we actually create that um, because it's super easy for it to not happen and I think it's the Gottman's the Gottman Institute that have come back with some really crazy research to say that married couples like I I think that might also be the number of years that they've been married like you know it's like if they've been married for five years the average time they spend talking each week is like 35 minutes <laughs> which and you know granted we don't have kids we don't have animals we don't have any other things we, we work together we work from home so we're in a very different environment but man 35 minutes that's not a lot of time so uh just have a think about that with maybe your relationship or the people that you care about and the actual time that you're spending with them talking about things that are just that aren't just work or you know gossip or bullshit right it's like are you actually connecting create active time to connect with your loved ones Um, and then we actually also have passive time so it's like passive time kind of is halfway between a solo night and an active night Um, passive time is where like, it might just literally be the, we're both on the couch kind of scrolling while we're eating dinner. That's passive time. We're not deliberately connecting, but we're spending time together. And sometimes when I'm hanging out with Greg, I'm like, Hey, do you want to hang out tonight? Like, do you want passive time or active time? And that way I can kind of like give him what he needs and also still be able to connect. And sometimes, you know, if we've had a big day at work, like both of us just want passive time. We actually don't really want to like have to get into like, you know, some emotionally heavy work where we're trying to connect and have deep conversation. Sometimes we just don't have the bandwidth for it. So passive time is actually part of our relationship. It's just that it's an orchestrated part, not the default part of our relationship. So we have solo nights, passive time and active time or that kind of date nights, maybe active time and date nights are separate. Sometimes our date nights are, you know, we involve like planning our dinner together and making a little bit of an event of it. It's not always eating out, but it's, you know, something. So yeah, I guess active time doesn't necessarily have to be a date night. Anyway, let's talk about bed non-monogamy. This, <laughs> we were listening to Matthew Walker uh, on Tim Ferriss's podcast. Matthew Walker's a sleep expert. He's great. Um, highly recommend you go and listen to him. He has so many interesting things to say about sleep. His book is Why We Sleep. Um, and they were talking about sleep divorce and how people and couples are sleeping in separate rooms 
And, you know, previously it's kind of been like this, oh, you're in separate rooms. Like, oh man, things are not going well. But now more and more people are deliberately trying to do this. It's like if someone snores, if someone moves a lot, if someone's getting up at different hours of the night, if there's babies, whatever, you know, it's like the simple adjustment of just having another bedroom and sleeping in separate rooms can kind of overcome a lot of things that could potentially be negatively impacting your relationship. So it's called sleep divorce. And Matthew Walker and Tim Ferriss were like, this just seems a little bit negative. And they came up with furniture polyamory. But Greg and I were like, nah, let's let's call it B&M. <laughs> so it's bed non-monogamy. And uh, we participate in bed non-monogamy as well as just regular relationship non-monogamy. Um, and it works really well. So we have, we're lucky we have like a proper bedroom with a king size bed. And it has, uh, Greg has a mattress temperature controller it's it's called a chili pad or like the particular like uh, style the particular model model is an ula and it basically controls the temperature of the mattress so for anyone who runs hot this is amazing um it has different temperatures on each side of the bed so i have mine a little bit hotter greg has his quite a bit colder (laughs) he has his on like 13 degrees it's wild um and we have one in the spare room as well and we can make it dark we can make it cold we can do all the things so the spare room's a pretty good option it's not like somebody has to sleep on the couch versus our bed so it's it's uh, a pretty good way to do the bed non-monogamy and and you know that's been quite deliberate because we do often have to sleep in separate beds if Greg can't sleep if he's tossing and turning if I've been sick like when I've been sick I will just run out of the room and have a coughing fit and then go and sleep in the spare room so the separate beds thing I'm pro I'm pro B&M um, <laughs> and I've talked to other people that I've worked with that have kind of incorporated it as well so Try it out. Let me know. If you come up with a better name, please just give us a yell. We want to hear it. Anything but sleep divorce, really. So something else that is coming up is I've been talking to Naughty Gym, which is an online like sex positive, um, non-monogamy, polyamory friendly community that basically just write workouts and bring people together for the sake of fitness, but that have this common aligned value of choosing the relationship style that makes sense to them not the default setting of monogamy. They're actually based in Alabama, which is really cool. They are doing an epic event at a lifestyle resort in Jamaica in January next year. And they've asked me to go and speak at it, which is fucking wild. And uh, they were like, hey, can you speak about nutrition? Like, would that make sense? Like, this is a health and wellness retreat. It just also happens to be at like the swingers resort. And I'm like, I think I can make that work. (laughs) And so I'm like, it's funny. I have this almost analogy for flexible dieting and why I'm a fan of it and the parallels with non-monogamy so you know people that are really strict with their diets that are like i'm only eating this i'm never eating sugar again that try to be like super anal about it and really picky and cut out particular food groups that try to just like discipline and willpower their way through like this perfect version of eating to have ultimate optimum health versus someone who picks a diet that is flexible so they eat pretty well for the most part but they allow themselves to have treats or eat out every now and again and it allows them to actually be more consistent and kind of enjoy their life right enjoy their diet they don't have to say no to so many things there aren't so many trade-offs and there's a little bit of a parallel there that you can draw with monogamy and non-monogamy and this is not meant to be designed as an attack on monogamy 
it actually comes up because we, well, I don't, Greg listens to Mind Pump and they have actually talked about non-monogamy and all of them are quite strongly monogamous and talk about non-monogamy as like this, well, it's just a free for all and there's no discipline and there's no commitment and it's just, you know, loose. And I think that's actually just, unfortunately, probably a common perception of it, but a total misperception. So the idea it's like just loose and wild and no rules and no boundaries and it's kind of like representing like the gluttony of humankind or <laughs> something along those lines. It's like, well, that's probably just an indicator of someone who has no fucking idea what it takes to be in an open relationship. And it requires a fucking shit ton of communication and work and effort and there is discipline and there are boundaries. Um, we, we actually work quite well with boundaries and I think when you create a non-monogamous relationship you have to be pretty clear with what those are and communicate them and yeah I just feel like as far as long-term sustainability goes I would call that in a relationship long-term desire maybe and non-monogamy is at least in my totally biased opinion a pretty good way to continue to have desire in your relationship because you have novelty you have excitement you have the ability to do things with other people and not just one person so I think just purely as far as sex goes it keeps things really interesting and it brings in challenge you're kind of inviting in hard conversations so that's my little food and non-monogamy speech and I think that might be the direction I'll go in in Jamaica um, which I, I has not been confirmed yet, but um, I'm, I'm trying to convince Greg to come with me and that would totally make me go, yes, I'm in, let's do it. So uh, some other stuff, I actually, I actually um, wanted to answer the rest of the questions from the Q&A that we did last week. We missed some questions and some of them were quite big questions about insecurities. So I kind of figured it would be a good chance for me to talk about them. Um, but before we get to that, I, I actually mentioned um, Reddit. I've been on Reddit as a way to like avoid social media. <laughs> and I don't know if it's any better, but it just it doesn't feel like I'm like endlessly scrolling. It feels like I'm engaged in something and it's kind of somewhat intellectually stimulating. Also semi-depressing a lot of the time because there's a lot of shit going on. People tend to turn to Reddit when they need help when something bad is happening. So you just see a lot of like negative stuff. Um, and I follow the dead bedroom subreddit. I follow non-monogamy. I follow swingers. I follow relationships. I follow sex. I follow, um, like a dating over 31. I follow the Tinder subreddit. There's a bunch of really cool ones on relationships. So you just hear like all kinds of different angles. Um, I think there's like a marriage subreddit. Um, and it was actually, yeah, it was in the marriage subreddit that I read this and, I said that there's a lot of really depressing posts. So like you hear a lot of people that have got dead bedrooms. One, pass, one partner is high libido. One partner is low libido and all of the issues that come up with that. You read about like non-monogamy gone wrong. You read about marriage that's just like <laughs> collapsing or imploding. Like there's a lot of bad stuff. And so I can often get off Reddit and be like, oh man, like the world is fucked. <laughs> But this one was kind of good and I just felt like it was interesting and worth sharing, especially because if you are also on Reddit and you read stuff like the Dead Bedroom Reddit, you read about a lot of men who are like very frustrated, well not necessarily men, but high libido partners who are very frustrated with their low libido partner. And they're often trying to figure out how to get their low libido partner interested in sex again. And 
it's hard to read these questions or posts or you know requests for advice without knowing both sides of the story and getting the full sense of the picture it's one thing to be like well I'm high libido my partner's low libido and like they just don't want to have sex with me but it's another thing to be a partner that only approaches their other partner for physical intimacy when they want sex it's another thing to be a partner that doesn't do foreplay it's another thing to be a partner that doesn't help around the house that believes that one person should do all the housework it's another thing to be a partner that doesn't really support them with the kids or support them emotionally so it's hard to pick up on whether these are the things that are playing into the other partner's low libido and anyway i found this post which i kind of just appreciated it was in the marriage subreddit and the title is i won my wife's heart back in three weeks which is a little bit a little bit very exciting (laughs) a little bit a little bit drama right so he says some background We've been married a few years and together for 12. We have young children and the bedroom activity really died off, only taking place when arranging it, which killed the romance between us. I decided to take action. My first objection is that (laughs) I feel like arranging sex is actually a really good way to do it. Like for Greg and I, if we're doing something big, we arrange it and it just works and it's funnily enough i was talking about you know what we did when we weren't living together versus what we do when we are living together now when we arrange it it's like organizing a date and we can both be prepared for it and like do little things like make sure that we're showered and ready and we've created time in our day and we don't get to saturday afternoon tired like we've made made sure to eat food at the right time like whatever it is and you get there prepared and there's this build up and i think that's actually really fun unless you're expecting some kind of like romantic version of movie sex that's meant to be shiny and just this look in your eye and it's like oh it's on um but otherwise i i I, well i mean not otherwise i think that version doesn't exist um (laughs) and two scheduling sex is a great way to do things right anyway he carries on and says I highly recommend no more Mr. Nice Guy and masculine. I think it's the masculine in relationships and it's by an author called G.S. Youngblood. He actually has a website and I'm kind of interested in buying his book. He says, after reading these books, I realized I had been handling my wife wrong all this time. (laughs) That language. I had been handling my wife wrong all this time. You just know this book is probably talking about women as if they're animals. Anyway, pets, just domesticated pets. I told her we were going to have a break from sex. I love this. I told her we were going to be physical without being sexual. Yes. I started being more decisive. Fuck yes. Like that already, I'm in the mood. (laughs) Helping more around the house and with the kids. After the first week, I could see the trust and love start to return. She was starting to touch me more when previously it was always me going to hug her, etc. and make the effort. And I read that and he's like, make the effort. But I think on from her perspective she probably didn't want to touch in case it was interpreted as initiating and all she wanted was physical intimacy not penetration right it's like to just be close with your partner versus initiating sex it's like i think that there's this really bad communication around that or lack of communication where people don't talk about hey can we just touch and cuddle and kiss and and you know grab each other's hands or butts without it leading to something super sexual Um, And in this case, he's like figured out that that's a trick. That's a hack. 
for people who maybe are pushing away from sex because they want intimacy, but they don't want that like initiation every time they hug. She says, uh, or he says, last night she initiated sex in the middle of the night. Brackets, this hasn't happened for a long time. It was amazing. So I'm assuming this is a few weeks after he's said we're not going to have sex because obviously they ended up having sex. But maybe that was kind of part of it. I've definitely heard of sex therapists basically prescribing no sex. And what happens is when you're not allowed to have sex, suddenly you want it. And suddenly if you're trying to kind of like work around the no sex thing and you're doing other things and you're, you kind of have, like I said before, you have permission to be intimate without having to worry about having sex. It just brings all the excitement back. He says, I can see now the error of my previous ways. I haven't been supportive enough of her. I have neglected her needs. I haven't been making her feel loved. If you can make your wife feel loved without sex being involved, then hopefully she will bring the sex to you. I totally agree with this. Sex should be a byproduct of the relationship, which I think kind of makes sense, right? If you're not having the sex that you want, it's probably because it's a byproduct of the shitty relationship. Previously, well, not necessarily, okay, I take it back, I take it back, I'm sorry, not necessarily a shitty relationship, but of people not having their needs met. Previously, she had said she felt as though I only approached her physically when I wanted sex. This wasn't true, and I dismissed it repeatedly, but this was also dismissing how she felt. Boom, mic drop, that was it right there. <laughs> that was the big breakthrough. When we argue and get caught up in talking about who's right in a relationship, we totally invalidate people's feelings. People are allowed to experience their feeling, even if you think they're totally wrong. So basically, he just figured out not to dismiss the way she felt, even if he didn't think she was right. He says, I had to address those feelings by winning back her trust and showing her that I wanted to love her and that she was worth more to me than just sex. I don't know if this will help anyone, but if it helps even one marriage to get better, then the effort was worthwhile. He says, P.S. It was quite difficult to be physical without her knowing that sex was off the table due to arousal and mitigated this by masturbating frequently to make it easier. The effort really paid off. Boom. Okay. Um, and then he had like a little edit about, oh yeah, a whole lot of people jumped on him for being like, I helped with the kids. People were like, hey, you should probably just maybe be a dad, like be a parent and be fucking responsible. <laughs> but anyway, he kind of backed off on that and was like, I get it. I get it. Like, this is just, this is just what's going on. And, and I'm sorry, my bad, my bad. <laughs> Um, people love to jump on shit like that. I actually posted uh, a little appreciation post for Greg and I made the mistake of being like, if such a thing as International Men's Day existed because it was International Women's Day yesterday, um, then I would do a post saying these things. And then somebody, no, not somebody, multiple people <laughs> were like, how dare you? <laughs> Absolutely not, Kate. Can't we have just one day? <laughs> I'm like, oh no. Oh, God, here we go. So, yeah, that didn't turn out so good. But anyway, that's what happens on the Internet in the year 2023. So, yeah, I just I like this post. It was a positive thing with someone actually figuring shit out on Reddit rather than people not having a fucking clue, which is the more common version. So to be honest, if you want to feel better about yourself, maybe go to Reddit or maybe you'll learn something. Maybe you'll figure out that your shit's fucked up because this is not OK. <laughs> Be mindful on Reddit because the, the most common response on Reddit is like, oh, dump them, break up. Absolutely do not stay with this person. Um, I feel like Reddit is tend to be 
reactive and jump onto a side and not consider the whole picture or be in that person's shoes. They're just like, oh no, absolutely do not stay with them. And it's like, you know, someone might be asking for advice about a problem and that problem may not be, you know, the entirety of their experience in their relationship. It's just this one thing that's come up. Um, but people react like it's the end of the world. So just be aware of that. <laughs> you might find yourself starting to respond to people being like, oh my God, leave them now. And then I need you to catch yourself and go, hang on a minute. What's really going on? If they can't leave them for whatever reason, maybe they actually don't want to end this relationship. What would be helpful advice? Okay. Um, another happy thing, more reading, gang, more reading. I've been going back and forth with like relationship books and sports psychology books. Uh, I tend to enjoy reading performance-based books because when I'm training and in competition, it fills my brain with all the things that I need while I'm working out. Um, and it just gives me a little bit of an extra push. But I did go back to, uh, oh God, Beyond Satisfied. It's Kenneth Play. He owns... Hacienda community, or I don't know if he owns it outright, but I think he, he's one of the owners or creators or whatever. And uh, that's a sex community in New York. And he's written a book, Beyond Satisfied, which is great. It's kind of like a little bit of a guide for men on how to pleasure a woman. So it's very like hetero based. He talks a lot about like squirting and sex positions and ways to pleasure a woman and get them off and, and walks through like some really cool things. Um, so I highly recommend it. I'm trying to get Greg to read it after me. Um, but it's one of those things where like if I recommend it, he probably won't do it. <laughs> Not because it's coming from me, but it's like, you know, whenever you ask someone or tell someone close to you that they should do something, they're like, ah, yeah, maybe. But anyway, something that I like that we've kind of implemented just recently because it just kind of clicked. Kenneth Play talked about warm up orgasms. And my first response in the book was like, hey, buddy. <laughs> orgasms are not that easy to come by sometimes for some of us okay uh and then when I came back to the book after having a bit of a break reading it and thinking about it and then having this experience that I've had that I spoke about two podcast episodes about on episode I guess it would have been 30 36 um this experience of like when I orgasm after orgasming sex is way more fun I can have way more orgasms from oral as well which I don't typically orgasm from so then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I've been doing warm-up orgasms. That's what that is. So now I do that deliberately. So the last like two or three times Greg and I have had sex, I've been in bed playing with my womanizer, getting myself off. And I'll get myself off like once or twice and then like build myself up. And I'm just like waiting for him to walk in eventually, which will usually happen. I, I time it pretty well. And so then he comes in and he's like immediately like, fuck yes, it's on. And usually dives headfirst into my crotch. And that's when I'm like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to come from oral, which is awesome. So then he's having fun giving oral and giving pleasure. I'm having fun just receiving pleasure and being like, this is so great. I can orgasm so many times now. This is awesome. And then we'll have sex and then I'll come again. And then he'll, it's like just this epic big sex session, which has been super fun. And a lot of it is kind of like the launch for an epic session is the warm-up orgasm and if it has to be toys or if it's something else like it it seems to be like kind of an epic way to begin a play session whether it's a short one or a long one they've been a little bit longer actually I think it's because it's a new thing and we get really excited but yeah so warm-up orgasms um I use a toy to do it you can use whatever means you find or require whatever's necessary but 
highly recommend it. Highly recommend it. And I think this might be something that I'll focus on with like other hookups as well, um, where I kind of like really just make it about me first. So yeah, that's kind of been fun. Okay. Last thing before I get to the Q and A's, I bring up this TikTok account kind of regularly because she always, always like just never fails to trigger me. She's like the most like monogamous person on the internet. And she's gone and contradicted herself. So I'm like, ah, oh, I am here for this. So she's someone who previously has said, well, okay, here's the scenario. Oh, I apologize for this repetition for people who have already listened to that episode. But she basically went on a, a rant, a rant um, about how a friend of hers was seeing a guy through high school and then they were going to go to college And they decided that they would go on a break. And he went to a different university. She went to a different university at different ends of the US. So they just didn't see each other for a few years. And then they got back together. And then she, he came to her saying, I think you're the one and I want to be with you. And then she got back together with him and they've been together since. Her problem with this was, honey, he's over there in college sleeping around and fucking every hoe there and then comes crawling back to you and you take him back so a lot of judgment a lot of shame stuff coming up around sex and just essentially being like oh men are slut bags and women shouldn't accept men who have slipped around and how like (laughs) how stupid of her to go back to someone and my response was no that's brilliant oh that's you've got a guy who's gone out and gone like got an experience with a shit ton of other women and then realized that no I've slept with all these people and it's still you I just want you that's a great sign that's excellent it's like an excellent sign big green flag there and then the fact that he's got more experience like I can only imagine the opposite of the story where they stay together during college being the way worse version where it's like they don't really have a lot of experience there's no novelty they never know what's on the other side like you know it's like grass is always greener they'll always be wondering about that they never get anything and maybe not never but the relatively getting new things in a monogamous relationship versus being single that's just a little bit different right so and I also was like hey hang hang on a minute she's probably going and being a slut as well or at least I hope and then coming back to him right like isn't aren't they doing the same thing to each other why is she the victim (laughs) so that was my response to this story here's the new one so this person who has previously had an issue with men sleeping around made this video okay you guys ready is not the years, but I made a video the other day about how a woman's body count is no man's business, and any man preoccupied with your body count is too preoccupied with your past and has no faith that he can make your future better. And the amount of crusty chads who decided to crawl out of the woodwork and tell me that a woman having a high body count is akin to her having a low credit score, and why would you want to be with a woman that doesn't pay her bills? Because that's part of. I'm just gonna stop right there. <laughs> I the ah mm. The whole thing, the whole thing where she makes videos about men having sex with other people and it being an issue and how you should wait and have high standards and expect better from men. But a woman's body count should be just forgiven. And I'm not saying that either. Having a body count, I'm not saying there's a problem with either. But the perspective here where it's like, oh, how dare men hold that against women? And 
I 100% agree that there are some crusty chads on the internet who are all about that Andrew Tate thing. Um, and I don't listen to a lot of Andrew Tate. I've heard good things and bad things from him, but the whole like body count thing, I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake. But yeah, it just strikes me as a little bit of a double standard when a guy going around and having a whole lot of sex is a really negative thing and you shouldn't be with someone like that. But a girl going around and having a whole lot of sex and a guy having a problem with that, totally unacceptable. Fuck that guy. What a piece of trash. Crusty chads. <laughs> it's like, you know what would be really good? If everybody had just really high body counts and everybody was really good at sex because everybody had a ton of experience and all of the partners that you got with brought so much to the table. That would be fucking unreal. <laughs> Quite literally fucking unreal. And I just feel like that would be better for everybody getting into a relationship because you know what you're getting into. You know what you've got to offer. You know what sex is about. You, you know what else is out there. And you really figured it out to the point where when you decide to commit, you know for sure. And this is something that like, okay, if Jordan Peterson was here, he would be like, absolutely not. But he's not. But his argument would be, no, like you should commit and you should be with one person and it requires like, you know, a different level of commitment and, and not uh, sleeping around or hooking up like that's just wasting your time. And, and there's some merit in his argument. Look at me using the word merit. <laughs> but there is some elements of his argument that I agree with, and like things like, you know, when you decide to commit to someone to marry them, take divorce off the table. Like, don't let that be an option. Don't let that be an out and really decide if this is who you want to be with and make sure you've squared away everything. Um, make sure that the communication is honest and you're transparent and painfully so, you know, get all your, get all your baggage, all your dirt. What do you call it? Like dirty secrets, dirty, whatever your history, get it up on the table and see if they still want you and see if you still want them if you don't then probably a good idea to not get married you know um but i think the idea that like you shouldn't have sex with people that your body count should be low that you should find other people that haven't been with many other partners i'm like that is just this kind of delusional approach to having the ultimate romantic commitment where someone just wants to be with you and nobody else was good enough for them. I'm like, fuck that. Find someone who's fucking slept around and knows what they're doing and enjoys it and is open about being sexual because sex is a really important part of a relationship. Um, Because if you're not having sex, then what differentiates it from other relationships, right? And I know that's a simplified version of it, but it's kind of at the heart of it. So sex is very crucial. And I think that it could kind of be a better approach to make that almost the focus of a relationship. Dare I say it be central to the relationship. And if you get it right and, and you're open and you talk and you figure it out, I think that, you know, I said it before that sex is a byproduct of a healthy relationship. And maybe it works the other way right? Maybe we can reverse engineer that. Maybe if we focus on good sex, it will produce a better relationship. I don't know. That's just my theory for tonight. Okay, on to some of the questions. So I actually, funnily enough, have one about resolving conflict. Somebody asked, do you argue? And unfortunately, Greg and I don't really argue. We are not the confrontational type. I am terrified of confrontation, 
Greg is too empathetic for confrontation. So we don't argue. We don't raise our voices. The only time that's gotten close is when either of us are kind of frustrated, tired, and I've snapped a little bit, like just like kind of gotten a bit like fed up and just had a, you know, second of just like, ugh, like what about like this? Or kind of, um, I've said to him, what the fuck is going on? You know, like I've just said that it's just kind of come out and it's been a bit more aggressive. And that's, that's about the extent to which we argue when we disagree on something. It's like, it's very tame. It's not like in the movies at all. So I don't have any, anything to give you for arguments, but I would probably be figuring out, Hey, how did you learn to resolve conflict when you were younger? Like, what did you do? Did your parents fight? Is that the model that you've had? Did they yell? How did they figure things out? What about you and your siblings? What about you and your friends? Like what, what does conflict look like for you? And And even the degree of like, what kind of volume do you use when you talk to people and does it mean something? So I remember listening to um, Mike Cashew and Adi Cashew from the Brute Strength podcast and they were discussing how Adi comes from a really loud family and Mike doesn't. And so Adi can talk and just get loud and aggressive and it means nothing. It doesn't mean it's like tension, but Mike has that and he's like, oh fuck, what have I done? Oh my God, what's going on? Oh God. So they kind of just had to figure that out. There wasn't anything going wrong. There was no conflict or tension. It's just that they just brought different energies. So I don't necessarily have a yes, no to arguing. We talk about things, we disagree, we debate, but we don't yell and fight and scream. But she says, or he, how do you resolve it? My boyfriend never apologizes when he upsets me. I think that that Reddit post probably kind of answered this for you. If you or your partner are really caught up on who's right about whatever it is that you're arguing about, you're forgetting that whatever's happened, whatever caused it, whoever's to blame, there are feelings that it has brought up. And it's been an experience for both people, for both parties. And those feelings, probably negative feelings, are shitty and it sucks. And when you have a negative emotion come up when someone says well it wasn't didn't happen like that like that you just got to get over it or whatever it might be right it's like you just dismiss them and you invalidate them and you minimize them and it's kind of like a shitty version of gaslighting to a degree um if you want to kind of go further with that so i think the idea of like he never apologizes when he upsets you is what is more accurate is he probably never apologizes when he thinks he's right and he thinks you're wrong. Maybe that's not quite it. I don't know what the problem was or what your conflict is over, but it could possibly be what's happening. He doesn't think he's done anything wrong, in other words. So why would he apologize? There's nothing to apologize for. That's his experience. Now, your experience is he's done something and it makes you feel like this. So you have to figure out a way to stop talking about the right or the wrong version of events. You have to let that go and accept that there will be two different versions. There is no other way. There will be two different versions because there are two different people that lived that experience. So there are two different versions of the experience. Neither of you are going to out talk, persuade, debate, convince the other person that their version of it is better than theirs or more right or more valid or whatever, okay? You will never talk someone into agreeing with you. Everybody thinks they're right. That's why fucking criminals go to prison. They think they're right, you know? Like, I know that kind of came out of the blue, but (laughs) I've just always had this 
I like I remember when I was a little bit younger just kind of having this realization that like I was like how can criminals do things that are so wrong like how can people do things that are so horrible they they think they're right they're right according to them they're right they do what they do because they're right they are entitled to do what they do right like that's how it works we all think we're right and so relationships and conflict can happen because we just get caught up on that just caught up on what's right and what's wrong so I think you may need to figure out how to approach him differently and be like I feel like this when this happens it comes from you and how you feel and from a thing that happens that's not attached to a person it's just a thing right so it's not like I feel like this when you do that and maybe eventually you'll get to that point but I would if he's already like someone who doesn't like to apologize I would try to make it a bit more neutral than that (laughs) and that way it's kind of detached from him and he doesn't necessarily feel like you're pointing the blame at him so I feel shitty when when we have an argument about xyz because I get really upset and anxious and like it, it really hurts or whatever um and it maybe even if it's this if he just if he never apologizes it might be like hey I feel like I get really upset and I really want someone to listen to me and to just like try to make me feel better and I don't feel like I get that a lot. And I, I need this in X, Y, Z ways. There's actually um, the five languages of apology. And if you're familiar with Gary Chapman, he wrote the book, The Five Love Languages. He also wrote a book called, um, it's like the lessons I learned or the things everyone should know before they get married. It's like something along like the lines of what everybody needs to know before marriage. And in that book, he has the five languages of apology. One of them is asking for forgiveness. One of them is showing remorse. One of them is asking for a way to resolve it or fix it. Um, and there's two others. You'd have to go and Google them. But there's just a nice way to like, I guess, verbalize different ways to apologize and show that you're sorry. And so maybe you need to figure out which one you are and help him learn to speak that language for you. And that's going to make you feel better. And when you feel better, both of you will feel better because you won't be resentful and he won't think that you're wrong, (laughs) right? It's just a way to make both of you feel better after a shitty emotion. That's really all that's happening. Neither of you are right, neither of you are wrong. There's just been an experience and you need to find a way to connect afterwards. My brother is a life coach and what he tells people to do is if there's conflict coming up, oftentimes what couples are looking for is distance so that they can come back together. So why not skip the distance and just go to the reconnection? And so what he tells people to do is if you're feeling conflict come up, just go for a walk alone, get apart from each other, separate, go for a walk, go for a drive, go listen to music, go do whatever, and then come back and reconnect and see how you go. Maybe you implement that. Okay. So um, one of the questions that we had was, Um, what insecurities does non-monogamy bring up for you and how do you deal with them? Uh, (laughs) Let me let you know, there are a few insecurities. (laughs) Um, There's so many levels of shit that comes up. But, you know, funnily enough, it's not that it was just never there and it only appeared because of non-monogamy. It's stuff that's always been there. And I think it's cliche, but people say that, you know, you'll heal through your relationship Um, But in this case, 
I fucking healed a lot of shit that's been buried deep inside me that's come up because we do hard things and it brings up insecurities and it brings up the stuff and you kind of have to talk about it if you want to figure it out, if you want to be better partners, if you want to work together, if you want to overcome it. So I guess one of my biggest insecurities and the way that I experience it is Um, just like a physical sensation that's very similar to anxiety or um, just a fear you know it's like I can feel my body just go into like fight or flight mode it's just I get tense I feel like my shoulders and traps kind of pull in and my stomach starts to get like you know you get butterflies it's it's nerves it's exactly the same physical sensations I have like literally before I'm about to do like one of the open workouts it's the same it's a similar sensation which is kind of funny but um, yeah, so that's kind of the, the sensation whenever I have something coming up. And what's interesting is that that physical sensation, it's in response to something I've heard, but it takes me figuring out what the thing that has come up is. It's not immediate. It's not like I go, oh, I'm scared you're going to leave me. Or like, oh, I'm worried that she's prettier than me. Oh, like I'm fearful that you, I'm not going to get as much time with you it's not it's not straightforward like that so even now like it will come up and I'm like ah that was weird that just like kind of came up and I don't really know why like I think it was this and I've even had I had a conversation with Greg last night where I'm like this feeling the physical sensation which is the same as the excitement before a competition or the fear of Greg being with someone else or like even like the butterflies you get when you're on a date and it's going well or you're turned on that physical sensation is consistent across all three of those very, very different experiences. So funnily enough, it's kind of just how you interpret it. And it's it's really dependent on the environment and what's going on. So sometimes when Greg tells me about someone else, it almost for a moment feels like I might be really turned on by it. <laughs> and I'm not there yet. Like it's not quite a kink for me yet. But there are moments where I'm like, oh, that's. I think I might think that's kind of hot. <laughs> and then I'm like, but I'm also terrified. So never mind. I take it back. <laughs> the physical sensation hasn't changed, but I'm like, did I just get like vagina butterflies? I don't know. Are those, are, which kind of butterflies are those? <laughs> so it's important to recognize that our feelings and the physical sensation that we get is not that easy to interpret because a lot of the different things we go through feel the same. And so it's typically the story we tell ourselves. And so the story that I tell myself are things like long-term monogamy or long-term relationships just don't work out. I won't be enough for someone. Someone won't want to be with me forever. I'll end up alone. I'll end up like my mom. Um, my Someone will leave me like my dad left my mom. You know, like it's these stories that I know that are familiar from childhood, stories from my past. Well, he could be seeing someone else and I won't know about it. He could be in a whole nother relationship from an ex cheating on me. It's like, the things that come up, the insecurities will probably be attached to a story from your life. So, you know, it's partners, it's it's breakups, it's cheating, it's not being enough, not being worthy, um, fears of just general inadequacy, um, body image stuff like him being with someone who's way prettier, way skinnier, way better body, long hair, <laughs> no tattoos, like pretty tiny petite blonde, you know, like it's like the opposite to me, everything I will never be. Um, and it's someone that could be smarter than me, someone that could be better at CrossFit than me. It's like anything that's more than I am, more than I can offer. Um, someone that can talk about relationships better than me. Um, what else is there? 
Um, I think those. I think those are the main ones. The looks thing. I probably got through that stuff the quickest. Um, only because I built a lot of confidence starting to date around and going to clubs, sex clubs, because I started to get a lot of compliments from men that. I don't know for the first time I took on that weren't just creepy I was like oh they feel kind of genuine and I think I was putting on a really creepy spin if it was like a single guy out at a bar like commenting on my body or like you know even out like in public like people comment on my body and I'm like oh god like gross or like don't objectify me <laughs> and I'm like oh, actually you know what like that's just my me putting my own shit on me projecting my own shit and they're probably just saying something nice because they really do admire me. And it's funnily enough, the men that appreciate how hard it is to build muscle that check me out and compliment me the most. And now I'm connecting the dots where that's always the case. The men that come up to me and compliment my body, which prior to where I'm at now was always like, a Ugh, like, oh, you're such a creep and like, you're such a dick. Now I'm like, oh, no, the other guys that get it. Oh my God. The other guys that go to the gym that work out and like big muscle is impressive to them. Like, oh my God, (laughs) there's not some ulterior like motive. There's not some agenda that they have. They're just being like kind of impressed. And so that was something that I worked through and I'm in a really good place around like my body and how I look. And even more, I actually appreciate being different to other people because uh, like Greg isn't fucking anyone that looks like me. Like it, I am me and, and there's no one else. Like he's hooked up with some girls that I, I think are fit and, and train and some girls that lift weights and do CrossFit, but like not many, like not a lot of women have strong muscle. And like, I think I pump myself up by talking and thinking about that. Like, you know, skinny fat or people who don't have muscle or people who, and I sound like I'm talking people down, but it's just my way to be like, Oh, I'm different. And it's a good thing. So some of the like physical beauty things um, and even like intelligence stuff. Like I've kind of worked through that. I think that's more superficial. The stuff that um, lasted for a very long time though was the, you could be cheating, you could be deceiving me, you could be keeping things from me. And if there's any hint of him meaning something else when he's saying like a a different thing, I can get really, I guess, paranoid about. Um, So like early on he would have a hard, and he kind of still does. Like we both have hard times just like finding the right moment to bring up that we're going to go on a date. Um, And so an example is like, it's, it was my birthday yesterday and Greg was planning on going on a date tonight. And so he was like on Tuesday, he's like, Hey, I need to tell you that I'm sort of semi-planning a date on Thursday, but I have a feeling she's going to flake, but I just didn't want to confirm it with her tomorrow on your birthday and tell you on your birthday. So I'm just going to tell you now, even though it's not planned, it's just like potentially floating around in the air. And if she says, yes, it'll, it'll potentially happen. And I haven't booked it. So like, you know, he does this long spiel and I'm like, Oh no, that's fine. It's cool. And you don't need to worry about my birthday. But like, he's super considerate about this, that kind of stuff so telling each other dates is hard and if he said hey like I'm gonna go and see a friend I'm like early on I'm like well okay like cool that's fine and then somewhere along the lines it would come out like they'd hooked up before and then somewhere along the lines it would come out that like maybe he'd like to hook up with them again and then that maybe this date was potentially that time so it was like we've been through this process and we're much better at it now but it was like we weren't great at giving each other clear information and and even just knowing what information each other needed so um yeah I think that like for me um the idea that there's not the full truth coming out is something that I get really about um and so yeah if I felt like Greg and and it's funny you know he's only 
he's only having a hard time saying stuff because he is trying to say it in the right way and all I'm hearing is like he's hesitating he's not saying everything like what's going on <laughs> so it's just like I'm I'm slowly imploding he's trying to like soften the blow and it's just like it's just this collision <laughs> but <laughs> so I actually I had this moment though and I don't know where it came from um, but I, I guess I'd been going through a little bit more frequently that experience of like, but it's happened before. And like, I'm worried that, you know, I've had people lie to me before and I'm worried it will happen again. And I'm just scared. I'm scared of this. I'm scared of that because it's happened before. I'm scared because it's happened before. And I kept on referring back to the same experience with my ex. And I, and I just, I had this, it was like, I was struck by lightning. I just had this moment and I was like, why? Why am I letting him still impact me today in this relationship? Like, why am I letting this baggage carry through into new relationships? It, it, I'm still carrying it around and it's such a heavy weight and it, it it's horrible to hold. And I don't want to put it on Greg. I don't want to do that. And I, I literally was like, fuck it. No, fuck that. I don't want that guy to impact me anymore. Like, I don't want that shit. I don't want that baggage. I'm carrying it. It's not him carrying it. It's not my ex. It's just a fucking story now. It's history. I'm the one reincarnating it. I'm the one bringing it back up. I'm the one continuing to bring the fear up. And Greg's shown me no reason to have that fear. So why do I keep bringing it up? And it was just an excuse. It was a story. It was a reason to feel the emotion and to feel the fear. And it was a way to explain the physical sensations. And that was the moment that I let it go. I just was like, why am I, why am I, oh yeah, fuck that. I don't want to do that. And I just kind of let it go and it stopped. And <laughs> it's been really good ever since, funnily enough. So yeah, and I remember explaining it to Greg maybe a few days later, like, oh yeah, I just, I don't know, I just feel really good because I just realized I was... I was kind of letting that bleed into this relationship and I didn't have to. And so I stopped because you've given me no reason to be afraid of those things. So, yeah. So that was something for me that was pretty major. Um, more recently, I don't think there's been anything that comes up that's distinct. You know, the degree to which I feel like I get uncomfortable or deal with insecurities is much lower than before. And it's not to say that there are no insecurities or fears or that physical sensation that I was explaining the nerves like that still comes up. But I'm pretty good at regulating myself now. So, uh, you know, dealing with the insecurities is as much about figuring out, you know, where it's coming from. Like, what are the stories? What's the background? What's the what's the what is the reason for it? As well as now, how do I deal with it? Because it's like we can spend all our time explaining and verbalizing and trying to figure out the why and understanding it. But if you don't know what to do with those feelings in the moment that they come up, if you don't know how to downregulate or upregulate or find some way to occupy yourself or find some good outlet for that energy, then, you know, figuring it out might actually be making it a bigger deal than it is. You know, like it could actually be making it more of a thing. So find ways to I don't know, do something with it. Um, I really enjoyed listening to Multiamory's episode, 50 Ways to Deal with Jealousy, to Handle Jealousy. Um, and I just remember listening to that when Greg was out on a date and it just felt like I was kind of doing something productive with the energy that I had with that, like just the emotion and the, you know, the feelings that wasn't like 
avoiding them. You know, it's really easy to get busy avoiding hard feelings and like I'll scroll on my phone, I'll watch Netflix, I'll go out and get a nice, like a delicious meal to eat and find all these dopamine hits essentially. Um, But the whole time I'm just scurrying away from these unpleasant feelings and thoughts and trying to distract myself. So it's really just, it's distraction really. That's what was happening. (laughs) And then I figured it out and I was like, oh, if I just like look at the feeling and go, okay, well, what do I need to do with like, what, what can I do? And and try and how does it impact these uh, like physical sensations and the thoughts in my head and you know it's like if you're hearing the thoughts in your head can I talk back to them can I like logic my way out of it or can I challenge them and that's kind of something that Greg's really good at like he's very much an internal processor and he's really good at coming up with processes for challenging that voice that inner voice that's that scared voice that you know like telling the story the drama voice and he always says like does she love me like does she love me do I believe that she loves me and do do I believe that she wants to be with me and the answer is always yes and so I think that's kind of the the way that I cut through it and undermine those emotions with Greg I'm like does he love me and I'm like "Yeah, yeah of course he does he tells me every day he expresses it in so many different ways and I'm so grateful for that. And it's like, oh, okay, well, the fear is just that. It's just a fear. It's not actually based in reality. I'm, I'm probably just a little unhinged right now. <laughs> and maybe if I just wait it out, I'll actually be all right. And we'll be fine. And we're going to reconnect. And then it'll all kind of be over. So it's little things like that. And I'm not saying that that's going to like change everything for any insecurities that you're dealing with just by going like, does he love me? Yes. Okay. Well, insecurity be gone. But... <laughs> When you figure out how to do all the little things, like understand why, understand what to do with the feelings, understand how to bring uh, more well-intentioned thoughts into your head rather than just letting your brain go wild, I think that all of the things combined can help you figure that shit out. Um, and I guess the most important one being confront it, like face it, look at it, have a have a sit down with it, just be like, okay, well, what's going on? Um, I'll leave you with this. I read a book what was the book? Um, I think it might have been the comeback quotient. I think that was it. It was one of the sports psychology books. It's so funny how much of a crossover there is with sports psychology and like relationships, which I guess makes sense because we're all just dealing with like, you know, this these two brains, the brain that's like logical and rational and then the brain that's like the, just the fucking monkey brain. Um, and so the book that I was reading just kind of approached it like this whenever you have a feeling or a thought come up whether it's a physical sensation or an actual like almost verbalized thought in your head that comes up in response to something think how interesting and go from there how interesting that this is how I feel right now that's so interesting I think I believe and I might be wrong with the story but I believe that this is what they did for students that were going to musical schools they basically had like the creme de la creme of human beings in their like teens or you know late teens mid early 20s going to colleges and getting scholarships and they've been like the top of their class and then they get into this exceptional school for like incredibly just talented people Um, and they all have meltdowns because they're no longer the best (laughs) and they have to work hard and they have to try and people are better than them. And it's like, they just had these like identity crises. And so this is essentially the tool that they taught these students to go, 
that's so interesting when negative feelings and emotions and thoughts come up. That is so interesting. And treat it as something to be curious about and to investigate and to play with and test out. What if I do this? What does that do? What if I tell myself this? Is it coming from this story or is it coming from this story? Like, where does that come from? Who am I? Why is this coming up? So that is what I will leave you with on that question. I'm going to really quickly throw my eyes over some of the other questions and see if there's anything else that I think would be good. Um... Do you ever get self-conscious with each other? For example, asking to try slash do something new. Yeah, I think so. I mean, physically, I don't get self-conscious with Greg. I've always felt really comfortable with him. But asking things, asking to try things, only if it feels like there's something attached to it. So for me, anything to do with like my pleasure, like uh, oral sex feedback or fingering or just penetration penetration I'm pretty good at being like straightforward um, but anything where it's like he's giving me something it's very hard to give feedback to that because it feels like it's critical and I'm also not that good at verbalizing what I exactly want and it changes a lot and I feel like I get emotional about it and I don't really know and then uh, so that's been pretty hard for me and I get worried about it and so like I can often be this happens with new partners all the time if I don't like it, I will often lie there thinking about it in my head and not say it out loud and just be like, I can't say it out loud. I don't know how to, why there's not the right moment. I don't know if it's actually going to get any better. Like I basically just talk myself out of it. So I do get self-conscious, not as much with Greg. I'm pretty good with Greg now, but for sure, just on my own with other people. Um, Somebody said, is it still evolving in terms of boundaries or do you get everything you want from it? So I'm assuming like, we set up boundaries and then uh, have we stuck to them or have we moved them? Um, and I think that the the episode that we did last week probably explains that. I would, I would go back and listen to that because we basically talked about like the way that it's evolved over the past two and a half years. So yeah, it's a little bit of both. It's like I do get everything I want from it, but we have been changing things and we've figured out what works best and, and what we actually were doing that maybe wasn't as effective. So little things like communication style when people are when one of us is on a date. Um, in terms of like what we're looking for, um, I definitely tend to look for group things more. So initially I was looking to date solo and I was looking to meet other couples on occasion, like join other people. But I, I guess maybe it's just been like I can get a little bit like over dating solo um, and have like a fairly good handful of like not great experiences. So I tend to find that when the group experiences, they're much better. So I would have to say that right now I'm really primarily looking for other men to join Greg and I or other couples to play with with Greg and I together. Um, that's kind of what I've got my eye out for. I don't really spend time doing other things. I do still talk to single guys um, or non-monogamous guys to date solo. Um, but I haven't been that proactive with it just because of training and competing. So I'm still talking to them. It's just easy because there's, you know, it's like that's kind of the easiest people to connect with in terms of just, I guess, um, what's out there, what people are looking for. I guess that's just more common. Um how does non-monogamy meet your needs outside of your relationship? I think this builds on what we talked about at the beginning. Greg and I value time alone and our autonomy in a big way. Um, I've felt lost in relationships before and I feel like I give up too much for myself for someone else and go all in. 
and I can be, I kind of came into this relationship a little bit afraid that I would lose myself. Um, and Greg, I think was similar. Um, we had, yeah, we had a few conversations around that. So the way that non-monogamy actually helps us in terms of, you know, apart from each other, you know, not in terms of the relationship is that it really allows us to continue to ensure we have a life outside of each other. And even if it is just like the odd date here or there once a month or whatever, it means we're still going through the process of like talking to people, making plans with other people, connecting, sharing our story with other people and doing it in absence of each other. Like we don't have each other involved. We are not in the equation with the other person, right? It's like I'm doing it separately. So there's a degree of independence, individuality, autonomy, being your own fucking person, connecting and being social on your own rather than always together. Um, I think coupledom and couples tend to end up stuck together and glued together with social situations. So it's just a nice way to be social and maintain some independence, really. So that's a that's a massive one like that more and more has become really important um, just to connect with people on our own and be our own person and remember how to do that. So that's been a really big one that maybe wasn't a, a need that we deliberately went out to go and meet, but has become something that we do it for now. Um, in terms of other needs, the novelty factor is probably one of the big ones. Both of us appreciate being able to meet and fuck other people that aren't each other. We can't give each other novelty. That's, uh, well, we get a little bit of novelty. Like there's excitement, there's new things that we kind of do, but we've done a lot of things and they're still exciting and I really enjoy them. But there's something different about like, you know, flirting with someone new and then like waiting when you're about to meet someone new for the first time. Or like if you end up planning on having sex, it's like there are exciting things and the sex might be fucking disappointing, <laughs> but the novelty factor is still part of it. And it's not all just about the sex, right? Like the novelty and just doing the dance. It's a really fun part of non-monogamy. So that has been another one. Um, I'm trying to think of things that other needs that maybe we had prior to getting into the relationship. I think, you know, I talk about like the reason that I wanted to be non-monogamous or not do monogamy again is that I just, I really enjoy being single. So for me, it was like, how do I be single and be in a relationship? And this kind of made sense. So yeah, it just, it, it's what I said earlier, really. It's the first point I made of, I have freedom. We both value freedom and non-monogamy allows us to exercise that to some degree. Um, it, it gives us the ability to feel free and be free in our choices, be free with the people that we're with physically, romantically, or just platonically. And it's really nice to just, yeah, kind of like, you know, we set each other free. It's a gift that we give to each other. And, and if you, you know, it's like that, what's that phrase? If you love something, set it free. And if it comes back, like it's a good thing or it's meant to be or whatever it is, I guess it's kind of like that. Like we're just kind of constantly letting each other do whatever the fuck we want, but also making sure that we're amazing partners to each other. And then <laughs> the other person usually comes back. So, uh, so far, so good. Um, I think, I think I might leave it at that. I'm, I'm kind of really quickly flicking over the page. I think we actually did a lot of these. All right. Well, I'm going to. I'm going to leave that. They, okay. Well, I did get a question. It says, your favorite thing about being with women. I'm going to leave this because let me tell you why, ladies and ladies and some gentlemen. Uh, I really want to do an episode talking about how to be with another woman for girls who have never been with another girl. So it's like essentially a how-to for the 
girl-on-girl girl action that you want in your life, um, that are curious about, that have never done. Um, that's probably the thing that we run into the most in terms of like meeting other people that want to join us. We meet so many girls who have never been with other women but are curious or want to join a couple and have a threesome and want to expand the sexual horizons and just haven't done it yet. And to be honest, being with a woman who's never been with another woman ever is... <laughs> exactly what it sounds like it would be <laughs> it's just new to them um and as much as you'd think like ah, oh, but women have vaginas they'd know how to eat pussy not the case not the case doing it and receiving it is a very different thing i will even say that my version of playing with other women would not have been great early on um i've changed my style i've taken on a lot of things i've developed i've devolved you know i've really evolved with my pussy eating skills uh <laughs> And a lot of that has been from being with other women do other things to me. Um, funnily enough, not necessarily from men. Like Greg, I've definitely picked up a lot. Like I have a lot of Greg style pussy eating skills. Um, but there have been things from other women that I really enjoyed have play with me. And I've been like, oh, that was totally different. I would never do that. And now I'm going to. So I would say that my style used to be a lot harder and rougher and full on and intense. Um, a lot more like, and I don't want to say porn star, but it, but it kind of was like, that's kind of where you learn sex from for, you know, people in my, people in my position or people just in general. It's kind of one of those, you, your first example of how to do things is from watching porn. And then also in parties, in parties, it's often very intense because it's just like this hyper aroused environment and it's really full on and it's exciting and it's it, it's just a lot so the sex kind of matches that energy um and so like the girls playing with the other girls it can just be like intense um and I remember playing with the girl who was just super soft and slow and teasing and torturing and it was just like really really good and so my style has morphed more and more into that where it's like I just take my time now and I don't worry about it being intense like I just worry about like I think just the build up and the enjoyment and like I also have had my own experience with like oral and pleasure and I've been like oh I don't need to like finger bang and just like pound the clit there's so many other nerve endings in the pussy and there's so many other ways to get women aroused like even the whole concept of like warm-up orgasms it's like but before then there's it's it's I would equate it to like getting a guy hard right like you got to get a girl hard as well. And to a degree that actually is what happens because the vagina or like the clitoris will um, uh, swell up and then become really, really sensitized. It's the same thing with the cock. It swells up, right? And it gets hard. And so it's like, there's that pre-hard play or build up for men. We kind of need the same thing for women, like the pre-swollen build up. <laughs> so I kind of want to do an episode just on like, how to fuck another woman um, for people who have never fucked other women. And hey, maybe it'll benefit men as well. I should just like forward it on to guys I'm about to hook up with. Oh my God. <laughs> this is just going to be me recording like my personal sexual list of demands and how I think people should eat pussy. And it would be perfect to just send people before I fuck them. <laughs> I'm going to try that. I'm going to do that as an experiment. Um, I will update you on how that goes. In the meantime, if there are things that people have done to you or you've learned on your journey of eating pussy, whether you're male or female, and it's something that you think should be included, let your girl know. Pass it on to me. Um, message me on Instagram. Message me on my Kate 
CFK page on my Kate Gone Rogue page. I try to check that one. It's just not one that I'm on as often. So CFK's probably the one you'll get me on first. You could fucking email me. I don't mind. Do whatever you need to do. Um, but make sure you get that information to me so I can include it. Other than that, it's it's like 10 to 8. It's solo night. I'm going to go and have a little bit of food. Then I'm going to go and chill out. And then I might go and hassle Greg a little bit. I have a hard time leaving him alone on solo night. <laughs> All right. Good night.